0: I'd like to welcome you to Prairie View Christian Church. We're glad that you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. And as Joshua mentioned earlier, we do have people at the Fishers Freedom Festival as we speak. And for several weeks now, I've been standing up here and asking for volunteers and telling people how we really need help and how we want people there to help serve our community and help serve our neighbors and show them the love of Christ. Well, we're kind of past that point of me asking for volunteers, but I do want to let everyone know that we're very thankful for those who are doing that. We're very thankful to those who give, as Mike mentioned, so that we can do things like that, so that we can take the gospel out into our community and how we don't have to worry about somehow coming up with coins in the couch cushions or something in order to do ministry. We are very, very blessed And so as we go on here in just a few minutes and pray, I want to specifically pray for those people who are volunteering there, whether they're there right now and can't be here whether they're going to be there a little bit later in the day, whatever. And if you didn't volunteer and you're going to go to the Fisher's Freedom Festival, feel free to stop by. Feel free to stop by and say hello. Feel free to stop by and help. Do whatever it is that you want to do. I'm sure they'd be happy to have more help. So thank you to everyone who contributed to that. Thank you to everyone who's volunteering for that. And our prayer is certainly that that love and that act of service that we're doing would open doors in the future for Christ to be proclaimed to people who may not know him, or people who do know him, but haven't quite found a church home yet. That's the whole idea. Now, with that, we're in our Ten Commandments series, and we're on commandment number five. And judging by my seminary math, that means we're halfway through. And the fifth commandment is kind of where we shift gears a little bit, some people would argue. So in honor of that, being that we're halfway done, being that we're shifting gears a little bit, I wanted to kind of recap the commandments that we've talked about so far, commandments one through four. With commandment number one, we read that we shall have no other God before the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And what that talks about is the fact that God commands or asks for his people to have loyalty to him and to him alone. There are no other gods outside of him. They were living in a time where they might be tempted to worship other gods who... People claimed it did the things that really only one God did. And that was the God that called Abraham. He's the only God who is worthy of our worship. He is different than every other God. And that's seen maybe no more clearly in the fact that he sent his son to die for us. No other God can make that claim. He's worthy of our worship. He created everything. He redeemed us from sin through his son, Jesus Christ, and he has set us apart to be his people. And that makes him worthy of worship. The only God worthy of worship with commandment. Number two, we talked about the issue of images, that command that says you shall not make a carved image of me. And we learned that God can't be contained in an image. That's the issue. There were people in that day who were very fond of the idea of making gods out of wood or stone or metal, things that they could worship and see and touch. But the truth is that God can't be contained in those images. And he tells the Israelite people, hey, don't make images of their gods anymore, because remember commandment number one, you're loyal to me now, you're my people. But then on top of that, don't make an image of me either, no matter how well-intentioned you might be because I can't be contained by that image. No image that you create with your hands, no image that you create with your minds, none of those images do justice to me because I am so unbelievably bigger than you realize. And what we saw there was that not only can God not be contained by an image, his son couldn't be contained by death. That's another thing that sets our God apart. With commandment number three, we talked about not taking the Lord's name in vain. And many times we hear that and we immediately think, okay, well, I'm not supposed to say that one three word phrase that I probably say a little bit too much, especially when I stub my toe. But here's the thing. That commandment is way bigger than just our speech. We talked about how not taking the Lord's name in vain is not just our speech, but it has to do with our actions as well. And if we really want to honor God's name, to lift that name high, to not take that name in vain, then the best thing we can do and the mission that we've been given as followers of Jesus is to go out and proclaim the name of his son to anyone who will listen, because that is the only name where we find salvation. And then with commandment number four, remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, we talked about the importance of rest and how important rest is on a physical level, on a practical level for all people, including followers of Jesus. But more than anything, we saw that rest is found in Christ alone. Only in eternity can you find rest in Christ. We find rest from constantly trying to prove ourselves. We find rest of constantly trying to earn standing with God. We find rest from constantly looking for joy and fulfillment and purpose in things that just can't offer joy and fulfillment and purpose in eternity. So we rest in Christ, and that's a rest that no one can take away from us. Now, as we've looked at these Ten Commandments so far, I hope you're starting to notice some big themes. And one of the big themes we talked about, especially in our first week, is that the Ten Commandments are not just rules. The Ten Commandments tell us something about God. We don't follow the Ten Commandments to earn favor with him. We don't follow the Ten Commandments. That way we can be holy enough and make God feel obligated to bless us with health or wealth or prosperity or success. That's not the idea. We don't follow the Ten Commandments in order that we can be saved. We follow and obey God because we are saved. Christianity is not moralism. It's not just doing good things to try and get good things out of it. That's not the idea at all, and that's not the idea of the Ten Commandments. Another big theme is that the Ten Commandments were a significant part of setting God's people apart from everyone else around them. But we as followers of Jesus, we're not set apart because we follow the Ten Commandments. We're not set apart because we're Abraham's descendants. We talked about how we're set apart because of what Christ has done for us. We're set apart because we place our faith in Christ. And that's what makes us different. Not following the Ten Commandments. None of that stuff. Jesus is what sets us apart. That we might stick out to the world. That we could proclaim his name To those people around us when they notice that there's something different about us and we can say well the thing that's different about me is that i place my faith in christ and god is doing incredible things in my life and god is changing me it's not through my own efforts it's not through my own righteousness but it's through what christ has done and people might say wow okay that's interesting and then finally the ten commandments we learned or we're learning so far are all seen clearly In Jesus himself. Vern Poythress writes, All the commandments reflect the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So as we read the Ten Commandments, we rejoice in the fact that even though we are imperfect, even though we all fail pretty regularly, Christ was perfect. And he fulfilled righteousness in a way that we never could. And because of what he's done for us, because of his perfect sinless life, because of his death and because of his resurrection, we can be reconciled to God, even though we aren't righteous. We have never been righteous. And in this life, we will never be perfectly righteous. Now, that brings us to where we are to today, the fifth commandment. And this is one of those commandments that we often know pretty well. We've talked about how there's some commandments that we can really remember no matter how much we've been in church or how much we read our bibles and there are some that we kind of neglect well this is one of the commandments that we often remember so turn to exodus chapter 20 verse 12 that's the passage we're going to be in today we're going to have verses up on our screen as well if you don't have a bible with you grab one of ours from underneath the chairs and if you don't own one grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today and i will say this Even though we do have the verses on the screen, I would really encourage you to follow along on your own, whether that's on a phone, whether that's on an iPad, whether you have one of our Bibles or a Bible that you brought. I would really encourage you to look into that instead of just relying on the screen. That can be an opportunity for you to get a little bit more familiar with Scripture. That can be an opportunity for you to read the verses yourselves, maybe in a different translation. If you have a different translation, you can read the verses around the verses that we have up on the screen. That's all really good stuff. So just follow along, and I would encourage you to follow along on your own if possible. Now with that, before we get into Exodus chapter 20, let's pray together, and then we'll pray for our Fishers Freedom Festival people especially, and then we'll get going. Father, we are grateful that we can be here today. We're grateful for the beautiful weather that you give us that we so often take for granted. We thank you for the fact that we can step outside and see your creation and learn a little bit about you. Learn that you truly are an artist. Learn that you truly are powerful. And God, we are humbled by that. And God, we are sinful people. And I am a sinful man. And yet you privilege us to get together and read your word together and take communion together and be there for one another and you privilege me to preach your word and we are grateful for that i'm grateful for that i pray that your word will do whatever it is that it needs to do in each of our lives whether it's encourage or convict or hold accountable or build up whatever it is god we know your word is powerful we know it's sufficient and i pray that your spirit would be moving this morning along with your word, working on our hearts and working on our minds and making us look a little bit more like your son every single day. God, we love you. We thank you for the commandments and all that you're teaching us so far in this sermon series and all that you're going to continue teaching us as we finish things out with the second half. We love you. We praise you. Be with the Fisher's Freedom Festival, people. I pray that those conversations are fruitful, that that service touches people's hearts and shows people that Maybe Christians aren't all that bad after all. God, we love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this is where the Ten Commandments kind of start shifting gears a little bit. The traditional idea has been that the first four commandments are what's called the first table of the Ten Commandments. And the last six are the second table. Now, there is some truth to this differentiation. The idea is that commandments one through four mainly talk about our relationship with God and what it means for us to know God and who is the God that we worship and what does God expect of his people in worship? That's the idea with commandments number one through four. And then we get into five through ten, those last six commandments. And the idea there with that second table is, is that this table refers more to how we relate to people around us. First four are about how we relate to God. Last six are about how we relate to the world around us, how we're supposed to treat one another, how we take care of one another, that kind of stuff. And while that may be useful, and there is a little bit of a difference there, as we've talked about here before, and I want to remind you of this, there's really no neat way to separate our relationship with God in our relationship with others, as we talked about, especially in our first John series way back in January, the idea that our relationship with God and our relationship relationship with other people aren't related. That's crazy. And John says in that passage or in that book of first John that, hey, the way that you relate to other people says something about your relationship with God. And your relationship with God should absolutely, naturally change the way you treat people. So I want to encourage you, as you read the Ten Commandments, as we get into the second table, don't separate those two things. They absolutely go hand in hand. They absolutely intertwine our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. With that in mind, let's look at our text, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Pretty clear. Honor your father and mother. Respect them. Listen to them. Honor them, because they're your parents. Now, if you're a parent in the room, you might be thinking, huh, this is Kid City Sunday. (laughs) And you may be thinking, you know what, I'm really glad that this worked out the way it did. And that was somewhat on purpose, but that wasn't completely on purpose. It kind of fell that way, and it just seemed convenient. We had the opportunity to maybe move Kid City Sunday to a different day, and we said, you know what, we'll keep it here, because it's the fifth commandment. Kids need to hear this. What a perfect day for this sermon, you may be thinking. Now, if you're a kid, assuming that you're still paying attention, of course, you might be thinking, great. (sighs) fifth commandment. I've read about this. I've heard this in my kid's city classes. I get it. I'm supposed to listen to my mom and dad. I'm supposed to honor them. You're not the first person who's told me this. Let's move on. Let's get this over with. But this is one of those passages that parents love. If you're anything like me, my son's not quite old enough to blatantly rebel against me or blatantly talk back to me. But I'm already starting to see signs that he is kind of learning what it means to disobey. And if you're a parent, you've probably attempted at times to break out this verse. When you get in that discussion with your kids, when they're not listening, when they're being really annoying, when they're not cleaning their room, whatever it is that your kids do to disobey, you're tempted to just break this out. When all other diplomatic attempts have failed, you break out this verse and you say, hey, kid, here's the thing. I've already tried to talk to you. I've already tried to be reasonable with you. But if you disobey me, you are disobeying God. Do you really want that on your conscience? You can disobey me. You don't have to clean your room, but, uh, you know, you're disobeying the Bible. So call me crazy. But maybe you shouldn't do that. We're tempted to use that verse for this reason, the same way husbands are often tempted to use that verse about Wives, submit to your husbands when all diplomatic attempts have failed at trying to talk to our wives about something. When the truth is that if you get to that point where this is your last resort, you've probably already lost the idea. You've probably already lost the conversation. But in all seriousness, some parents would take a verse like this and use it as license to make ridiculous demands upon their kids. Maybe even demands that disobey God. What do you do if you're a child and your parent makes a demand on you that you feel disobeys God? What do you do with that? Do you break this commandment and not honor your parent? Or do you obey them and hope that God will understand? Well, John Calvin addresses this question. He writes in one of his books about our parents. If they spur us to transgress the law, we have a perfect right Not to regard them as parents, but as strangers who are trying to lead us away from obedience to our true father. Calvin makes it clear obeying God comes first. And sometimes that may require that we not honor our parents the way that they think we ought to. This isn't just that license to make ridiculous, unreasonable, non-God honoring demands on our kids. Look at Colossians chapter three. Verse 21, Paul writes in that passage, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Some of your translations may say, Fathers, do not embitter your children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not make them beyond frustrated, or else they might become discouraged. And the idea, even though Paul says that kids obey your parents and everything in the verse right before, the idea is that if we as parents are honoring God in all that we do, if that is the main priority, if that is the goal that we're reaching for, the thing that we're striving for, to honor God above all else, theoretically, our kids should be able to honor us and not have to worry about that question of, well, what do I do if my parent makes this demand of me that doesn't honor God? If we're parenting in a way that lifts honoring God above all else, that conversation or that dilemma Shouldn't have to happen in our kids' lives. But that being said, we read this commandment, we think about kids honoring and obeying parents, but the truth is that this commandment was just as much for adults as it was for little kids in its original context. This commandment is not given because the Israelite children were notoriously disobedient and notoriously annoying. That's not the idea. This commandment is given for adults whose parents are dependent upon them. It's for people who are my age, people in their 30s, people in their 40s, even in their 50s. As parents got older in that day, they were often completely dependent upon their kids. You didn't have government programs to make sure that old people weren't dying. You were very dependent upon your children when you couldn't do things anymore, when you couldn't do the things that you used to be able to do you would turn to your kids, that they might help you, that they might provide for you. And so if the kids disobeyed this commandment, those parents might be really in a bad state of affairs. They could be left for dead, even. So there's never a point, no matter how old we are, where this commandment doesn't apply to us. We often think this applies to little kids, but this applies to all of us. No matter how old we are, no matter whose roof that we live under, no matter who's paying the bills or not, we honor our parents. We don't outgrow this commandment. And this commandment speaks especially to those adults who might be tempted to neglect their parents, might be tempted to use the excuse of my family or my career or my life, my responsibilities, and turn a blind eye to the needs of their parents as they got older. Now, the second half of that passage to that verse 12 says that God's people will prosper if they follow this commandment. You will live long in the land if you honor your father and your mother. Now, that's true. The only way this young and fledgling nation that God has delivered out of slavery to Egypt and he's looking to deliver them to this promised land in Canaan where they can be a prosperous nation and be a light to the other nations around them and glorify God and all that they say and all that they do, the idea is that you're not going to be a prospering nation if you neglect those who came before you. You're not going to be a prospering nation if you forget where you came from and who gave you life. So honor those that come before you. A nation that didn't do that would not be a nation that was thriving. A nation that didn't do that would not be a nation that was honoring God. Now, that being said, we often take something like this and we say, now, wait a minute, the Ten commandments say that if I follow this commandment, then I'm gonna live long in the land and everything's gonna go great for me. Well, if we're doing that, we're kind of taking it out of context. That is not a promise that everything's gonna go well for you. That is not a promise that everything's gonna work out perfectly if you can just follow these rules. That's not the idea at all. But outside of that whole, well, God says we have to, why would we honor our parents? What's our motivation for that? Well, there's lots of motivations for that. They give us life. Not every person has kids, but every person has parents. In one way or another, our lives can be traced back to two people who God used to give us life. And we take that for granted. But think about that. We wouldn't exist if God hadn't used those two people, our parents, to give us life. Parents make sacrifices for us, whether it's time or energy or finances or all kinds of other things. They give up so much to provide for their children and help their children live the kinds of lives that maybe they couldn't live. They teach us about life. They teach us about spiritual life, especially In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the writer of that book says that God's people are called to instill the law on their kids. They're called to be these spiritual influences to their kids, to teach their children diligently. The parents are called to do that. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul credits Timothy's grandmother and his mother with all of the things that he has learned about what it means to be one of God's people. He thanks God for his grandmother and mother because they had such a significant impact on his spiritual life. And then finally, parents discipline us. Parents are those people who are called to teach us lessons even when they might be hard or painful in the short term. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of that book says that God disciplines you because that's what good parents do. And if your parent isn't disciplining you, then They're really failing as parents, and they are treating you as less than children if you don't get that discipline. But here's the thing. We hear about all these things that parents do for us, all these things that make parents worthy of honor. But then you might be sitting there thinking, now, wait a minute. My parents didn't do any of that stuff. My parents didn't make sacrifices for me. They weren't there. They deserted me. And maybe if they were there, they were more concerned about living for themselves and making any kinds of sacrifices for me. You might be thinking, you know, my parents didn't teach me about life. They certainly didn't teach me about spiritual life. They didn't know Christ. They weren't the kinds of parents that God seems to expect in his word. What do you do then? What if your parents didn't care enough to discipline you? And so there were a lot of difficult, painful, hard lessons that came with a lot of heartache that you had to learn on your own the hard way because they didn't do that discipline. They didn't fulfill that responsibility. If our parents failed to do these things, why in the world would we honor them? What would be our motivation then? Well, we honor them anyway because we can't claim to love our neighbor If we don't honor our parents, we honor our parents to show other people our love for God and we honor them to show them the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus uses this famous parable, this parable of the prodigal son. You have a guy who's getting a little bit up there in years. Who's a dad, but he's not super old yet. But his young son comes to him and says, Dad, I really want my inheritance, which in essence is saying, Dad, I wish you would just die a little bit sooner. That way I could get my money. So the dad, I would assume, is hurt, is offended. He's very shook up by this. But the dad says, you know what, son? Okay, take your money, take your inheritance, do what you want to do with it. So the young guy does what you might expect him to do. He goes out and he lives a crazy lifestyle. He parties it up. He uses his money for silly, foolish things. And he eventually hits rock bottom. No money left. Nowhere to go. The inheritance is totally gone. And he finds himself having to provide for himself by taking care of pigs, which was especially insulting to a Jewish person who wasn't supposed to be around pigs. But... As the guy hits rock bottom, he comes to his senses and he realizes, you know, I really shouldn't have treated my father the way I did. I didn't honor my father. But maybe if I'm lucky, I can go back and and maybe he'll take me back as a servant. He'll probably never want me to be his son again. He's probably disowned me by this point, but maybe he'll have enough mercy to let me work in his house. So the son returns to his father's house, tail between his legs, knowing that he hasn't honored his father. But then we see the father's response. The father doesn't set up a list of rules and say, Son, you have to do this, 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 and this, and then maybe, slowly but surely, you can regain, through your own efforts, that title of son. Maybe then I'll accept you if you pay off your debt, all the pain that you caused me. He doesn't do that at all. Instead, the father runs out and meets his son before he even gets to the house and embraces him. And he celebrates and he's thrilled that his son, who was lost, has now returned. And look at the conversation that happens with Luke 15, chapter 21 through 24. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, the whole idea of the story is that this father in the story plays the role of God and the son plays the role of, well, Us, people who have rebelled, people who have taken advantage of our Heavenly Father, people who haven't honored our Father. And the whole idea is that God shows grace to those who return to him. That grace is found in what Jesus has done for us. And often we see that story. We often hear that story of the parents who try to raise their kids in the right way, who try to expose them to Christ, try to show them the love of God, and then that kid just rebels, and there's no control you have over it, and the parents mourn over this rebellious child. But what if you reverse the roles? Maybe you're in that situation where you're the child, and yet your parent is the one who has been rebellious Your parent is the one who is far away from God. Your parent is the one who has mistreated you and taken advantage of you as a follower of Christ. What do you do in that situation? Well, maybe you can show grace to your parent, the way this parent in Luke chapter 15 showed grace to his child. Maybe we can show God's grace to our parents, especially if they don't know Christ. You know, if you do have parents like me who raised you up in the faith, who were a wonderful example and made sacrifices and disciplined you and taught you and did all these things, if you have that, you are incredibly blessed. I know I take that for granted all the time. And that is something that we should be incredibly grateful for and incredibly humbled by the fact that we were blessed with parents who did that for us. And we should find ways to show them how grateful we are. Find ways to honor them even to this day. Now, if you're a parent, this should challenge you to be a better parent. Be a parent who places honoring God above all else. That comes first in your family's life. Be parents, the kinds of parents that God would have us be. But maybe your parents are no longer with you and you're thinking, all right, you've addressed good parents, you've addressed bad parents, but What if my parents aren't around anymore? How do I obey this commandment? Well, maybe honoring parents is not so much about your parents anymore at that point, but maybe it's investing in the life of someone younger than you, someone who doesn't have that God-honoring parent, that you can be a kind of spiritual parent for them. Maybe it's investing in that child who does have God-honoring parents and reminding them of just how blessed they are and not to take that for granted because parents won't be around forever. Maybe it means honoring those parents around you, those parents who are trying to raise their kids in the faith and they are exhausted or they are tired or they might be discouraged. How can you be an encouragement to them and honor those parents? You know, whether our parents were good or bad, whether they knew Christ or didn't know Christ, we honor them anyway. We honor them because God tells us to. But more than anything, we honor them to show them the grace that we have experienced through Christ. And above all else, we honor the Father who gave up so much for us. The Father who gave up his Son for us. He's the one that we honor in every aspect of life and one little way that we can do that is by showing honor to our parents and showing grace to them let's pray father none of us are perfect whether we're primarily in that role at time of life where we're children whether we're in that time of life where now we're parents and maybe our parents are still around, but our responsibility to our kids seems to be taking priority over everything else and we neglect our parents. Or maybe our parents aren't with us anymore, God. No matter what boat we find ourselves in, we rejoice in the fact that you're a better father than any of us could ever be. You sent your son to die for us. And we didn't deserve that at all. None of us really in the big scheme of things are deserving of honor or worthy of honor. And yet, you have given us the greatest gift that we could, couldn't could even imagine on our own. And God, we thank you for that. God, I pray that we won't neglect our parents, that we will realize how blessed we are if our parents know Christ and. I pray that if our parents don't know Christ, that we will continue loving them and continue serving them and showing them the same grace that you've shown us. God, I pray that grace will characterize everything that we do. Thank you for being our father. Thank you for adopting us as children, even though we were once rebels, we were once slaves to sin. But God, through your son Jesus, you've made it possible for us to refer to you as our Father. And I pray that we'll honor you in all that we say and all that we do. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you don't yet know Christ, I would encourage you to talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. Maybe you don't understand the whole idea of grace. Maybe you're wrestling with that relationship with your parent. Maybe you're wrestling with the idea of God being your father in the first place. Well, talk to one of them. They'd be happy to talk to you, happy to pray with you. Maybe you have something else going on in your life that could just really use prayer. They'd be happy to do that with you, too. So they'll be standing at the sides of the room. I pray you'll take advantage of that.